We want to turn to the scriptures now. First Peter, please. First Peter chapter one. First Peter chapter one. Our title this evening is Strangers, Sons, and the Sovereignty of God. Strangers, Sons, and the Sovereignty of God. First Peter chapter one, beginning to read at verse one. We'll read the first five verses. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through sanctification of the Spirit, unto the obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, Grace unto you, and peace be multiplied. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Keep your Bible open. We are going to look at that in quite in depth in a moment. Bless us by another word of prayer. Father, we just thank you for the many people you have brought this evening. Lord, your faithfulness in placing it in the hearts of men and women to be here to worship you and under the sound of thy word never ceases to amaze us. You're good to us, you're great, and you are greatly to be praised. Lord Jesus, we love you, we worship and adore you. And what we want to do this evening is to magnify thy name in CET and whoever else would watch or listen. And Lord, we pray in your name, Father. Lord, that if there's one here, a man or a woman, a boy or a girl, has not yet come to saving faith and knowledge, in the Lord Jesus Christ, may they, Lord, turn to him this evening by the drawing off your own precious Holy Spirit. And we pray, O oh God, that someone would come to repentance tonight, not leave it off any longer, nor leave it too late, but come to saving faith in Christ. Thou art sovereign over all the earth, and we worship you. Father, thank you for hearing us, for being with us, and now we pray, Lord, that you would speak to us at the preaching of your word through clay lips. In Jesus' name I ask it. Amen. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 to 5, we have people mentioned, and then we see their salvation. That's your salvation, and it's my salvation. It speaks to you tonight. And it speaks to me. Maybe you're not saved tonight. You can see what it took and what it takes for a man and a woman to be saved. There's nowhere in Scripture it says that we are to ask Jesus into our heart, but rather to repent and to follow the gospel, obey the gospel of saving grace. I want you to see tonight how sinners are made saints. Sons are born. Daughters are born. Again. And I want you to see tonight that how in this, the verses 1 to 5 tonight, all 
our complete, our whole, our full redemption and salvation rests completely, solely, only, and uniquely on the sovereign will of God. That he is God over all and that he is the one from the beginning unto the ending. He is our savior. First of all, we have the strangers, Peter says in verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, who the strangers scattered. Then he mentions some of the areas where they're scattered. He's writing to scattered Israel here. He's writing to scattered Israelites. They are the strangers now from the commonwealth of Israel, as Paul would write later. And Peter is saying, you're now estranged, not only from the Holy Land, or even from the temple that was. You're estranged from God. You have transgressed the law of God. You know, sin is a transgression of the law. And every one of us are strangers or were strangers to God. Every one of us were lost in our sin. Every one of us were lost. We were at our back toward God. We were dead in our trespasses and in our sins. We had no possibility whatsoever to save our own selves. But God intervened and got involved. Strangers are scattered. Notice that secondly in verse 2, it says elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Notice elect. The word elect simply means one or some called out of the many. Israel were called out among other nations. And God says that there are those whom he before the foundation of the earth had looked down through time and given unto his son. And now Peter is writing to those very same people. And notice in verse 3 it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy, notice according to his, the dominance of mercy, abundant mercy of the Father, hath begotten us again. Notice, he's writing, he's saying, God sent forth the gospel to you, Israel, and now you've turned again to the Father. You're saved through Christ. How are we saved tonight? But through Christ alone. And so we see those who are begotten of the Father, begotten again. In verse 4, we see the heirs of the inheritance to an inheritance incorruptible, and undefiled that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. What is that inheritance? We'll talk about it in a moment, in a while. And then we have, in verse 5, the preserved of God. The preserved of God. Who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. What does that mean? They're kept by the power of God through faith on the salvation, ready to be revealed. What does that mean? The inheritance will be revealed in, this, in the saints. What does that mean? We'll look at it, God willing, as we go through this message. So the, strangers who is, the stranger who is the elect is the begotten of God, and they are made an heir of God in Christ Jesus with an inheritance. And they are preserved of God, kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Notice verse 1. 
from under condemnation, strangers. Do you know every man and woman, you don't need to condemn them? The unsaved, you don't need to condemn them. You know why? They're already condemned. He that believeth not in him, that is the Lord Jesus, is condemned already, saith the Scriptures. Men and women unsaved are condemned already. They're walking, living in condemnation. And that condemnation will be a judgment shown forth that they are worthy of what God says of them. And notice here then in verse 5, the ending of our reading, verse 1, from under condemnation, verse 5, to free and full salvation. Free and full salvation who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation. So here we have men and women strangers. Now in verse 5, we have them saved by grace, kept by the power of God. It's amazing that the gospel that is here within these five short verses speaks of what Christ has done for men and women and how they are saved by grace. So notice we have strangers who are redeemed and then we have those who are redeemed kept unto the resurrection of the dead. What do you mean? It's the revelation of the sons of God, the revealing. We'll talk about it again in a moment. I want to give you five bullet points of the Reformation for salvation. You ready? First one is sola gratia, by grace alone. Not of yourselves. We can't work our way. We are lost. We are hellbound without Christ. We are lost in our ways. We are saved by grace alone. The second one, sola fide, through faith alone. Faith that is imputed to the man and woman when the Spirit sanctifies or moves on them. By faith alone. Thirdly, solus Christos in Christ alone. Saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Many people today are telling us that Jesus is only one way or our way to be saved, that there are other faiths, other religions, other ways, and even starting to mix Christianity with other religions in order to make up a certain religion to get everyone in. Friend, you can have all the religion you want. Christ alone saves. Christ and Christ alone is our Savior. Saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. The fourth one is sola scriptura, by scripture alone. In other words, according to Scripture, and what it says is how you and I can be saved. According to Scripture, it is the final conduct for all manners of authority in the Christian living. Saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, according to the Scripture alone. And the fifthly is sole deo gloria, and it means for the glory of God alone. For the glory of God alone. When you and I enter the kingdom of God and we enter his glory, I tell you, friend, there is nothing you will have in your hand. There's nothing you will be able to offer the Lord. There's no religion. There's no faith. There's no works that you will be able to offer God, but simply say, I'm here by grace alone. His glory and his glory alone. It's all of the Lord. Everything is of him. So we fully agree here in CET. I, as the senior pastor, fully agree with the ancient scribe 
in Jonah chapter 2 and verse 9 when he says, salvation is of the Lord. Salvation is of him alone. So 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 2, we see the sovereignty of God. Notice chapter 1 verse 2, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Notice. Then we see through sanctification of the Holy Spirit, we have God the Father. And then we have the Holy Spirit through sanctification of the Spirit. Unto the obedience of the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, here we have through the shed blood of his Son. And then it says, grace unto you and peace be multiplied. The sovereign works and the sovereign will of God is completed in the earth without man's approval, friend. It's without man or woman's approval. God will do as he likes and as he pleases. Notice this. We reiterate the words of the psalmist in Psalm 115 and verse 1. Not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but unto thy name. Give glory for thy mercy and for thy truth's sake. So it's unto the name of the Lord that we give glory tonight. To Jesus and Jesus only. The Lord Jesus Christ and Christ alone. In the kingdom age, in that heavenly glory when he comes, we will be singing with the blood-washed throng. The song of the redeemed, which is found in the book of the Revelation of Jesus Christ in Revelation chapter 1, verses 5 and 6. Listen to what they sing. Unto him that loved us. Isn't that beautiful? Unto him that loved us. Jesus, unto you who loved me. A wretch like me. Somebody like me. Unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins. Notice, in his own blood. And hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. You see, here we have the blood-washed throng singing the blood-washed song. Here we have the blood-washed throng singing a blood-washed song. Will you be there? Will you be there? Can you sing that song? I can sing it right now because I'm trusting in the blood of Jesus. And in the blood of Christ alone for my full and complete salvation. Peter, 1 Peter 1 and 1, we have strangers scattered. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 1, these strangers are lost. They are on, as it were, you imagine they're scattered. They're on a, a broad road to destruction. The stranger away from God. The stranger sinning in their life. The, the transgressor of the law of God. The sinner are on a broad road to destruction. God scattered them for their sin away from him and away from his presence in the temple. And notice in chapter 1 and verse 2, we have blood-bought then. These strangers are blood-bought. Verse 3, they are begotten sons or they're born again. And in verse 5, they are saved saints on the narrow road or the narrow way. Will you turn with me, please, to Matthew chapter 7, if you would. Matthew chapter 7. And notice the words of the Lord Jesus here. Matthew 7 and verse 13. The Lord Jesus, the speaker here says, Enter ye in at the straight gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. 
and many there be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. I'm trusting you have found it as it were. I'm trusting that you tonight have entered this straight or narrow gate, that you're on the narrow way with Christ. Notice what the Lord says here. There are two gates mentioned, the straight or the narrow gate and the wide gate. The straight and the narrow gate or the wide gate. There are two ways mentioned, the broad way or the broad road, and there is the narrow way, the narrow road. There are two endings off these paths or ways. Destruction. Simple. That's what it says. Destruction. And life. Destruction. And life. It seems as if the Lord could have been taking a little snippet from Jeremiah when he spoke to the house of Judah. He told them of their sin. And God would bring judgment upon them in Jeremiah 21 and verse 8. There's a little verse there where the Lord sends Jeremiah the prophet. And listen to what he says. And unto this people thou shalt say, Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I set before you the way of life and the way of death. Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I set before you the way of life and the way of death. If you had a choice, which one would you choose? The way of life or the way of death? If you had a choice, which one would you choose for you, for your family? The way of life or the way of death? When the stranger comes under the sanctification or the setting apart of the Holy Ghost, as Peter says, they see the blood of Christ as the payment of their sin. And they enter the straight or the narrow gate. You know what that straight or narrow gate is? It's called the cross of Calvary. It's called the finished work of Christ on the cross and the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And then you follow on to know the Lord in the narrow way. And those who reject Christ, those who reject the Lord Jesus, they're still, as it were, strangers to God. They're still away from him. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and verse 18. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. You see, these are people who are on a broad road. The cross is foolishness, they say. The preaching, me preaching tonight, he's a fool. Well, you know what? I'm glad to be a fool for Christ. The world may laugh, snigger and sneer, but remember, they also done it with the Savior. 
The preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. They're on the broad road rejecting Christ. But unto us which are saved, it is present tense this evening, the power of God. You know what we have tonight when we're believers? We have the power of God. We have come by the way of the cross. So here is the narrow way, the gate is the cross of Christ and his finished work. And following on to know the Lord. Listen to what the Lord Jesus himself said in John 14 and verse 6. I am the way. Not a way, not a way, the way. Not a certain way, the way. Definite article, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Isn't that wonderful? Listen to what he says in John chapter 10 and verse 9. I am the door. (laughs) By me. Not by your denomination. Not by your religion. Not by your works and who you are. Not by a godly grandparent. Not by giving money or doing charity deeds. He says, I am the door by me. If any man enter in, he shall be saved. Hallelujah. And shall go in and out and find pasture. Christ is the exclusive way to the Father. And he is the only way salvation. The lost, scattered strangers of Israel are them that perish. Or that is you and I outside of Christ who are perishing, those who have turned away the Savior. The word perish here needs looked at for a moment. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. The word perish is a, a word apolume or apolume. And this is what it means. To put out of the way entirely. To put out of the way entirely. Notice this. To make an end to their ruin, to be lost, to be destroyed. Paul says, for the preaching of the cross is to them whom God is going to put away forever. It's not frightening. The cross is foolishness to them people. But unto us which are saved, it's the power of God. Don't you just love him? Aren't you glad you're saved? Aren't you glad? Come on, believer. Aren't you glad you're saved tonight? Let's hear it. Aren't you glad? Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Bought with the blood of Christ. Let me give you a little example. In Matthew chapter 10 and verse 6, the Lord Jesus says, I am not sent but to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Those who were put away in punishment. This is the strangers Peter speaks of. Listen again to Matthew chapter 18 and verse 11. For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. Lost. On the road to death and destruction. Scattered. Lost forever. 
But in my elect plan and electing love, I had a plan for them. Isn't it mighty that he would give his only begotten son who would come and be our sin bearer? In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 and 4, Paul writes, But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. Oh, many times, I remember going through Belfast City Centre from one pub to the next. I remember seeing boys right, preaching around Corn Market there, and I remember I used to give them dog's abuse. In fact, I gave them that much dog's abuse one time, the police had to come. And guess what? They arrested the Christians instead of me. Such a fool I thought they were. Little did I know that in the depths of my depravity, in the darkness of my sin, that one day he would shine a light in my life and I would hear the glorious gospel. No longer would it be hid from my eyes and from my heart and from my mind. No longer would I be lost, but I would be found. I was blind, but now I see. What a Christ. What a God. What a Savior. For our gospel be hid as hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not. Lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. You know, the devil wants to blind your minds. The devil wants to blind your heart. The devil wants to blind your thinking. And every time I'm seeing young people and all the stuff you're hearing day in and day out, messing with their minds and teaching perverse ways, and I see it all, I'm thinking, oh, the devil is blinding the minds of the children, of men and women. We need to pray that the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, no word image is there, it's the word icon. It's where we get the word icon or it's where we get icon for a, 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 like a statue's an icon of someone. It means when you're looking at him, you're looking at the Father. <laughs> when you're looking at him, you're looking at Almighty God. A light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, the Father, should shine on them. Notice here, we also have in 1 Peter chapter 1, if you'll turn with me, please. 1 Peter chapter 1. And verse 2. The blood bought. Are the strangers scattered? Now we have the blood bought. Or the blood washed. Elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through sanctification of the Spirit unto the obedience of the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. The sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Now I know, and I've probably said it myself, maybe I think, and I've heard people saying, when, oh, you sprinkled your blood, and others would contradict them and say, you know, uh, 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 that sounds like an accident, you know, you don't, but you know, the blood was purposefully shed. He went purposefully to the cross to purposefully shed his precious blood. But do you know the blood also had to be sprinkled? It had to be sprinkled. You see, it's no good the blood being shed and not being applied. When Moses was told to slay a lamb and put its blood in a bucket, 
and dip the hyssop in, it had to be sprinkled all over the doorposts and the door lintels. It was sprinkled. It was no good that the Lord would say, well, I see you've killed the lamb and you see you've put the blood in the bucket, or Moses, so everything's all right. No, he says, you apply the blood. And when I see the blood, applied blood, I will pass over you. Notice, and we'll not go into these, you can write them down when you go ho- and read it when you go home. But in Exodus chapter 24, the Lord makes a covenant with Israel. And to ratify the covenant, there had to be blood that was shed. So this is what it says in Exodus 24 and verse 8. <clears throat> and Moses took the blood and sprinkled it on the people. Notice that. Moses took the blood and sprinkled it on the people. Behold the blood of the covenant which the Lord hath made with you concerning all these words he said. In other words, the blood was shed, but it was no good having shed blood without it being applied. And friend, you can say all you want about, well, I know Jesus died on the cross, and I know Jesus hung there, and I know that Romans put nails in his hands and his feet, and I know they put a crown of thorns on him, and I know even all the sayings that he said on the cross, but if you don't apply the blood... The blood must be applied to you and your life. In other words, he died for me to cleanse me of all my sin. I believe his blood has paid my debt and is enough. The blood must be applied, brothers and sisters. Notice the blood was sprinkled on the people to ratify the covenant. That's important. And look this up when you go home, but Exodus 29, Aaron and his sons were being set apart for to take up the high priestly ministry in the tabernacle in the wilderness. And what happened was this, that once they shed the blood, they had to sprinkle Aaron and the high priests with the blood. You know what that made them? Priests unto God. And then whenever you go into Leviticus 14, verses 6 to 7, any time a high priest was to inspect a leper, and they were to see if they were well off their leprosy. Leprosy is a type of sin, if you remember in the Bible. And to see whether they were well off their leprosy, if they were well, they were to be sprinkled seven times with the blood of a lamb. The blood had to be applied. And when the high priest went into the Holy of Holies, they had to come in and sprinkle the furniture. Seven articles of furniture. They had to sprinkle it all with the blood. It's no good saying, oh, it was shed at the altar. And there's the blood in the bucket. We can see it all. There's it there, Lord. See, it's ready. He says, apply the blood. Apply it. So when Moses ratifies a covenant through blood, Aaron His ministry as a high priest was through blood. And the leper was deemed clean, cleansed through the sprinkling of blood. Now, when Peter says, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctification of the Spirit, unto the obedience, notice, and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, he's saying, you know what? There's been a covenant made in blood. There's also been a setting apart for those who are in Christ as the priests of God. 
The priesthood of God is not a priesthood set apart for a denomination, but as the blood-washed believers are priests unto God. And guess what? He says the sprinkling of the blood of Christ, it's the applied blood to the individual. It's the applied blood to say this. Your sins have been washed away. You're clean just as if you had never sinned. Isn't that amazing? So whenever we look at the blood for a minute, I want to stay around the blood for a few minutes. You know, we can preach prophecy like last week. And we can preach about Christian living and help to encourage you like we did this morning. But I can tell you, when you start preaching the blood of Jesus, that's something different. That's a different arena. That's a different realm. Hebrews 12 and 24. Unto Jesus, notice the mediator of the new covenant. How is the new covenant ratified? With blood. The mediator of the new covenant unto the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than that of Abel's. Now listen. The Hebrew writer isn't saying here Jesus' blood speaks better than Abel's blood, although it does. He's not speaking of Abel's blood that Cain shed when he killed Abel. He's speaking here of Abel's, Abel's sacrifice which he brought to God. That's the blood they're speaking off of Abel's. Sure, Abel's blood was a dirty blood. Abel's blood was like your blood and like my blood. Abel's blood was full of germs and disease. Abel's blood would have turned against himself if it had a chance, just like yours does and mine. Abel was nothing special. He was fallen after his father Adam. Just like you and I are after father Adam. Wasn't Abel's blood. Of course Christ's blood speaks better things than that of Abel's. Abel came with the sacrifice and slits, slits a lamb's throat and pours the blood out before God. And God, the Father, had respect unto his sacrifice, we're told. And so the Hebrew writer looks away back to the Garden of Eden outside of it. And he says, Jesus' blood is better than that of Abel's. See, there's no blood like the blood of Jesus. Holy and righteous and pure. Hebrews 13 and 12. This blood is the blood of the everlasting covenant. The new covenant that the Lord says in Jeremiah 31, which was ratified by Christ in the New Testament with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Now it's called the blood of the everlasting covenant in Ephesians 1 and 7. It says, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Ephesians 2 and 13 says, we are made nigh. We were away astray, but we are made nigh by the blood of Christ. Ephesians 1 and verse 20, we have peace through the blood of his cross. <laughs> Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 10 says that the blood of Christ purges our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Dead works, people in dead works. And we realize the blood of the lamb and the power of the blood and the cleansing of the blood. You know what it does? It illuminates our hearts to be able to turn around and love him and serve the living God. Hebrews 10 and 19 says, we have boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. That is into God's presence. Hebrews 13 and 12 says we are sanctified with his blood. His blood marks us out as his. Do you know that? He says, when I see the blood. 1 Peter 1 and 9 says we are redeemed with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish, without spot. 
First John chapter 1 and verse 7 says, The blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanseth us from, listen, all sin. Not some sin. It's not you do so much and his blood will do the rest. Or not his blood goes so far and you have to work it over. His blood cleanses us completely clean. Washed in the blood of the Lamb. Listen, Revelation 1 verse 5, we mentioned it. He has washed us from our sins in his own blood. His own blood. Revelation chapter 5 and verse 9, he hath redeemed us to God, he says, by thy blood. We are brought back again to God through the blood. And Revelation 12 and 11 says, they overcame him, the devil. They overcame the old devil. How? By the blood of the lamb. I'll tell you something, friend, brother, sister. Do you see when the devil comes to tent, when the devil comes to upset and annoy you, you know what you need to do? You need to remember you're an overcomer through the blood of Christ. You need to keep your life right. They overcame him by the blood of the lamb, by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto the death. Next time the devil comes, tries to upset, you know what you do? Give him your testimony. Let me tell you how you try to destroy my life. Now let me tell you how Christ lifted me from the broad road of destruction and has given me life and set me on a new path, the narrow way. Give him your testimony. So we have strangers scattered on a broad road, blood bought through the straight gate of the cross, and then we have begotten again. They are on a narrow way. First Peter chapter 1 and verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which hath, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again. Hath begotten us. In other words, we're redeemed by him. But he has begotten us again. Now, the words here, begotten us again, needs to look at that for a moment. It's a big word, anaginao. Anaginao. And it's really made up of two words, anothen and genao. Anothen and genao. For example, anaginao means to have one's mind changed so that he or she lives a new life and one which is conformed to the will of God. Strangers walking away after transgressing God's law, put out of, out of the land because of their transgressions and because of their idolatry and their spiritual adultery before God. They're now scattered, they're now migrating, and now God sends forth the word. And that's who you and I were. On the broad road to destruction. Backs toward God. And the word here gives the idea that God himself has not only saved us, but he's changed us that we would live a new life in Christ. Has your life changed since you got saved? My life has changed. Is it perfect? No. Is it simple? Not at all. Is it carefree? Far from it. But has it changed? Absolutely. He said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. It means that he lives a new life 
and the one which is conformed and one which is conformed to the will of God. Strive to live your life to glorify Christ. First Peter 1 and 23 uses the word here, but it's, it's the same Greek word, but it's a, it's a little different in our English. First Peter 1 verse 23 says that we are being born again. Notice, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. We are born again. Now, we need to look at this little word here, born again or begotten again, because this word here, anaginao, for example, ginao means to be fathered. Your father. Fathered. Listen, this is important. So, my late father was called Kenneth. And unfortunately, he gave me the same name. But he's my father. Kenneth Sr., Kenneth Jr. That's my genes. So there's the, the literal sense of seed. Ken Sr., Ken Jr. I'm fathered from him. My children from me are lineal descent and so on. But now when we're born again, when we're born again, the idea here is you're fathered, and a born again means fathered a, a genao and anofen. Anofen means from above. From above. And when I got saved 23 years ago, listen, I was born again. I was fathered from above. You were fathered from above. See, Jesus says, to the old Pharisees, he says, you're off your father, the devil. And the loss of your father you will do. So when I was saved and born again, it means I was born of my father, God. God the Father sent his spirit, as Peter says, to sanctify or to set apart those whom he knew from before the foundation of the world and the blood of Jesus Christ was already shed at Calvary for me. I'm saved. Are you saved? Is God your father? So we have born from above. Your father in heaven has birthed you. Born of the Spirit, with life from above, into God's family divine, justified fully through Calvary's love. Oh, what a standing is mine, and it's because of that wonderful day when as a sinner I came took off the offer of grace he did proffer. He saved me, oh, praise his dear name. Heaven came down and glory filled my soul. When at the cross the Savior made me whole, my sins were washed. Bless him. Hallelujah!
sing it again one more time. Heaven came down. Heaven came down and glory. Oh, glory. Who when at the cross My sins were washed Heaven came down. Hallelujah. Isn't that wonderful, brothers and sisters? Isn't it great to be saved tonight? It's great to be born of the Spirit with life from above into God's family divine. Listen, justified fully through Calvary's love. Oh, what a standing is mine. You see, it's all of the sovereign will, the sovereign plan. The sovereign purpose of our sovereign God. It's all of his doing and not of ourselves. Lastly and finally, 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 5, we have saved sons, glorified saints. Saved sons, glorified saints who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Now, what does that mean? We're ready to be revealed in the last time. Will you turn to Romans chapter 8 for me, please, and it will explain it for us. We praise God for the Apostle Paul and the revelation that the Father had given to him. And while you're looking that up, you see the Lord Jesus, it says, in Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 10, that he is bringing many sons to glory. Now, listen, you tend to think, well, he's taking us all to heaven. That's not what that means. He's bringing us along the path to a glorified state, it means. Notice this, it's his glory in us. Romans chapter 8 will explain it for us. And verse 18, Paul writes, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory, notice, the glory which shall be revealed in us. Do you see that? So there's going to be a glory that's revealed in the saint, the blood-washed saint. For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the a manifestation of the sons of God. So in verse 18, we have the glory which shall be revealed in us. In verse 19, we have the manifestation of the sons of God. That's us. And then let's read on, verse 20. For the creature was subject to vanity, not willing, but by reason of him who hath subjected the same in hope. In other words, we are willing because it's our hope in him. Because the creature itself shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. So here we have deliverance from bondage and corruption in the glorious liberty. What is that? It's the resurrection of the dead. The dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together to meet the Lord in the air. Know what it is? We shall be changed, Paul tells us, in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, 
And that is a revealing of the sons of God. The manifestation of the sons of God. He's bringing us to glory. In other words, he saved us. He's washed us. He's kept us all this time. And he is going to glorify our bodies. It's not marvelous. I'm closing with this. Thank you for your attention. Verse 22. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit. Even we ourselves groan within ourselves. Listen, waiting for the adoption to wit. What does it say? The redemption of the body. When's the redemption of the body? When Jesus comes. Whether you're dead and passed on in Christ, sleeping in Jesus, whether you've passed on from this life and your spirit has returned to God when you give it, or whether you're alive at his coming. Either way, the redemption of those whom are the elect according to the foreknowledge of God through the sanctification of the spirit under the blood of Jesus Christ, those people who have accepted the narrow way, the cross, all that Christ has done, walk the narrow path, he's going to raise us, the corruptible to put on incorruption, the mortal to put on immortality, and we will rule and reign with him in his kingdom. Isn't that marvelous? Isn't that fantastic? Our whole full redemption, our whole salvation is this. We are saved by grace alone through faith alone, in Christ alone, according to the scripture alone, giving glory to God alone. My brothers and sisters, you leave here tonight knowing that you're a child of God. We sang it, no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. And you leave here tonight knowing if you're saved, that you are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation. Yes, we walk right. Yes, we aim to live right. We try to do right and walk by his laws and words and in his grace. But I'll tell you, you leave here tonight knowing that whether you die or whether you are awake at his coming, you are going to receive a new body and you're going to be ruling and reigning with him in his glory. Isn't that marvelous? If you're not saved, you're on a broad road to destruction. And you'll be lost for all eternity. Talk to someone tonight before you go. Would love to talk to you about your soul's welfare, your soul's eternal destiny. In Jesus' name. Amen. God bless us tonight.